You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. All right. Thank you, Mike Ross, for that fine introduction. Welcome to Leaf Sky, Episode 28, Season 3. Jim Taddy with you for the next 20 to 25 minutes or so. Dave Festchuk from the Toronto Star is our guest. The Leafs in a hole down 2 nothing in Round 2 to the Florida Panthers. Before we get going, here's a bit of economics for you. I'm going to call it we're in a dupe session. Most products do the same thing but are priced differently solely based on the brand name. So a good duplicate or dupe is crucial to getting the highest quality at the best price. One dupe you definitely shouldn't sleep on Raycon wireless earbuds. Raycon is premium audio at the perfect price point so you can listen to what you want when you want without breaking the bank. Well-priced, good quality product. What else could I say? Here is the call to action. Go to buyraycon.com slash THPN today to get 15% off your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash THPN. And while we're on the subject, here's another opportunity for you. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. Now, that sounds like a pretty good deal to me. Here's the call to action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Sign up with the code THPN. New customers can make a $5 hockey playoff bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. The code is THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for complete details. All right, on to the hockey story. What do we have here? Well, Florida has a 2-0 lead by the slimmest of margins. Go back to game one. Neutral zone turnover. Breakaway for Hagee scores 3-2. Leafs couldn't do much about that. Game two, Thursday night. 2-0 for the Leafs. 2-1 as Florida has a massive four-check in the first period. Beautiful goal. And then in the second period, the Leafs forget to hit the start button. I don't know what happened there, but in the span of 66 seconds, two turnovers, one in the neutral zone, one at their own blue line by Corp players and this is an absolute disaster Leafs could not recover 3-2 at that point the Leafs did not score another goal after a marvelous start and they seem mystified well what is the difference if you go back to the Tampa Bay Lightning series they were in the face of Vasilevsky and in the first two games against Florida Bobrovsky has seen and stopped pretty well everything that's been thrown at him so they're not getting in his kitchen they have to do that and they have to stop with the turnovers that's my take on things here is the conversation with Dave Festcheck from the Toronto Star, and here is his take. Okay, Dave, uh, the Leafs find themselves in a 2 nothing hole of the Florida Panthers. How deep a hole is this? Pretty deep, Jim. I mean, this is not looking good for the Toronto Maple Leafs because, you, you know, as much as you can say, you know, especially game two, you could say they played a good game. Like, the, you know, a few breaks go their way, but Brovsky doesn't turn into Andre Vasilevsky and you can easily see the path to winning that game. And you probably say the same thing about game one as well. But I think if you're the Florida Panthers, you can probably say to yourself, wait a second, we just won two on the road. We played five games in nine nights. Uh, We knocked off the number one overall seed uh, in the history of the NHL playoffs with the 65 win Boston Bruins team. And, 
we haven't even played our best. You know, the Panthers don't feel like they've played their best yet. So, uh, and now, you know, you got to go to Florida. I don't know if that's especially daunting considering it's probably going to be a leaf friendly crowd. When you think about all the Canadians that are going to be down there buying up those tickets that Florida Panthers fans actually don't exist to buy because they don't have enough fans to fill that <laughs> arena. It seems like, um, but it's a deep hole, Jim. And, and, and if you're Sheldon Keefe, you got to be uh, in panic mode right now. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of layers to that first question. And one of them is you brought up the coach. I, I don't know if I need my coach to be baffled after game two. I, I you know, that, I'm sure that, that that's a sincere response, but that's not the response I need. No, you don't want to be baffled. You don't, you, you don't need to be baffled because it's not like we haven't seen this from the Maple Leafs before. Now I know they were they were good in the Tampa series in terms of being disciplined and not making the kind of turnovers and having the kind of lapses that they had here when you take a two nothing lead in game two and then suddenly it turns into a three two deficit on account of the Leafs beating the Leafs in a lot of ways, right? The, yeah. the Leafs making mistakes, the Leafs feeding into what Paul Maurice, I think, you know, who can be very disingenuous and, and very manipulative in his media availabilities, but his idea that the Florida Panthers are the best counter, not the best counterattack team in the NHL. I think there's something to that. They're they're a great counter team. They, I think you put it well. They play a rope it up style that can almost lull you into thinking that you're dominating them so hard that they're out of the game, and then bang, they come back at you and they and they counterattack and they score, and you're wondering what hit you. But if you're the, you know, you can be wondering what hit you. But if you're the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, you should not be baffled by this because we've seen this kind of inconsistency from the Leafs before. We've seen this relaxation at the first little modicum of success before. And I guess on the grand scheme, yeah, you've had this incredible success of your first playoff series win in 19 years. And you've relaxed a little bit. And you've had also, you know, the the success in game two of going up to nothing, uh, you know, putting an absolute onslaught on the Panthers in the early going in that game. But then if you're the coach, you got to realize that your team has this tendency and most teams have a tendency to follow that up with some relaxation and you got to do everything in your power to fight it, but you should not be surprised by it or baffled by it. So let's go to the two, nothing lead could have easily been three or four, nothing at, at various points. And the counter was just a gorgeous four check on Lilligren that caused a turnover. There's no support for him in the net and it's two, one, that should have been an alarm right there. hundred percent. And you know, I was in the locker room, after game one and in the, in the practice after game one, the day after, and all the defensemen were talking about was that gorgeous four chick you, you just referenced from the Florida Panthers. And they were, they were, they've been game planning how to beat that four check. They've, it's not like, you know, again, it's not, it's not a surprise that that four check is coming. If you're Timothy Lilligren and the rest of the defense core for the, the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, you know, the idea that you played it so poorly in that instance, look, I understand it's, they come hard, they come fast. And they're relentless, but, you know, it's not like it is a surprise. Everybody on that team is well aware of, of the way Florida forechecks. So like, that's a lapse, right? And I think, look, that, that, you know, you can really break down the problems on the on the breakout for the Toronto Maple Leafs because we talked about it in the postgame show uh, with Ralphie, you know, after game one. Like th there were a lot of times that the Toronto Maple Leafs in game one couldn't break the puck out, even though it seemed like they had control, even though it seemed like they should be able to get out of their zone, they did not. Uh, again, there, there, there's there's goal number one on a very similar situation where, you know, you, you get beat by the forecheck when you know it's coming. 
Yeah, and, and so the forecheck, um, you know, it's the it's the forecheck and the positioning. So let's go to the, the key point of the game. You've got two turnovers, um, and much like the one in, in game one in that neutral zone area. So we're talking uh, middle ice, neutral zone, along the blue line, uh, along the – I mean, these are these are danger zones. You should never turn the puck over. And there's three examples, costume game one, costume game two. But the ones in game two are really regrettable. Nylander makes the one – Marner just with it with a brutal pass into nowhere, really into into Matthews who was covered, and and the other part of that equation is the turnover is bad, but then it's seconds later clear shot that goes in, goaltender didn't bail them out, so that there's a lot of errors in a short period of time. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, you're right. We're not talking about this. We're not talking about those turnovers as much. We may be referencing them, but we're not harping on them the way we are after game two. If, uh, you know, Ilya Samsonov comes up with some saves here and, and really he had to, you know, he had to bail them out there. They needed they needed a bailout uh, on those turnovers and they didn't get them. And, and look, those are and I think those are regressive mistakes, you know, from the Maple Leafs in the neutral zone, because th- those are fundamental things. Those are those are kind of rookie mistakes in a lot of ways. Like there's, there's there's places on the ice you just cannot turn the puck over and they turn the puck over in those places. Um but on the other hand, Jim, like if you're really a Samson, if you're sitting there going, wait a second here, guys, that's four straight games um, where maybe I haven't been my best in all four. Like we obviously we won game six. We got we got over the hump against Tampa in game six with a two one win. But that's four straight games, Jim, four straight playoff games where the Maple Leafs have scored exactly two goals. And can you really blame your goaltender? if you score two goals in a playoff game, like it's very difficult to win with, you know, you, they won one of them two one, but you're not going to win two one every night. You can't expect your goalie to be that good every night. Um, you, you got like, you can, you can harp on the goaltending. Sure. But you got to score more than two goals. And the relentlessness we saw that produced those opening two goals in short order in the first period, it, you know, it, it came and went, you know, we saw William Neal had a great third period to make up in some ways for that, turnover but he didn't put the puck in the net you know they, they didn't get over the finish line they didn't get over the goal line and I think that's what that's what's going on here is that the Maple Leafs offense just isn't producing enough it's, it's producing chances it's producing you know dominance at times in the in the uh, offensive zone but it's it's not doing what it's supposed to do and you can certainly credit Sergei Bobrovsky for a lot of that uh but you know, look, when you pay half your you know half your salary cap to to guys who are supposed to put points on the board and pucks in the net, and you've gone four straight playoff games with two goals, I would say you got a problem. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, let's deal with Bobrovsky because looking for the solution here. Uh, if you compare Bobrovsky to v- Vasilevsky, uh, Vasilevsky did not see a lot of those pucks. Bobrovsky sees them, makes the save. In a lot of cases, no rebound, so no second chance opportunities. They got to get in his sight line. That's a great point, Jim. When you think about the success the Maple Leafs had, especially early in the Tampa series. You know, we were talking about John John Cooper was trying to say, oh, they're getting lucky. They're tipping pucks. They had like five goals off tips, right, in, in that series. And that was because they were commanding that real estate in front of the net. And they were getting inside. And they were, and they were getting into the sight lines of Andre Vasilevsky, who, you know, we've, we've since come to understand was feeling very worn down after this incredible four-year run where he played an average of 72 games uh, playoff and regular season combined for the Tampa Bay Lightning, but we're, they're not getting that kind of wear and tear on Bobrovsky. As, as you point out, like Bobrovsky's making a lot of great saves, but 
he's seeing a lot of pucks, uh, you know, from, from the stick into his glove or from the stick onto his blocker. And so we're not a, that, that allows him to control pucks. So we're, the Leafs aren't getting the same kind of rebounds they were getting off of Vasilevsky and B it just, you know, it just doesn't make for the kind of mayhem in front of the net that, that allows for the ugly goals you're going to need. And, and may speak to the fact that you've only had two goals in each of the past four playoff games. Uh, you're right. It's it's not it's not rocket science, man. You got to get in front of the guy. But I do think, look, what, like the, the Florida Panthers are, are defending that area with with some viciousness, maybe that we didn't see from the Tampa Bay Lightning, who were depleted on the back end without Eric Chernak and and on down the list of the defenders that they were bereft of, uh, you know, from year over year from 2022 to 2023. You know, the Panthers are are, are a different beast. They're playing. They're playing a little bit of prison rules hockey. They certainly started playing that way last night with that, uh, with that idea that, Hey, we're, you know, they can't call them all. And so maybe we've got to adapt to it because guess what? This is the NHL and they've been playing like that at this time of year for more than a century. Well, and, and you see how the, the standard changes. And so oddly enough, it's on bunting. you got that Bennett cross check. I think there's three of them two minute penalty. If that was reversed and bunting had done that, I wonder if that would have been a minor. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. You know, Bunting definitely has, you know, a, a target on his back. Uh, you know, he's his, you know, his number is circled in the in the officials room. You feel like, and and but for good reason. Like, but Michael Bunting's put himself in that position uh, by doing what he's done this season and and building up the track record he's built up. So, not that Sam Bennett hasn't, but look, you know, it's that's a slippery slope. There, you start you start blaming the rest for your problems. Uh, oh, that's, yeah, not, not, that, that's not going to get you out of this muck that you're in. Yeah, not not a blame, just a, sort of an observation. You're looking yeah. for things that sort of tip it in the other direction. And clearly to get in Bobrovsky's sight line is one. Getting a good call is another. But I find myself now looking back on the first round and realizing the Leafs are now 1-4 and four on home ice, 3-0 and oh on the road, all three overtime wins. And it wasn't like in the overtime wins they played a solid 60 they had to rally uh, in two of the three. Uh, so I sort of put that in with where they are now. And I go, I, I need to see more here, don't I? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I mean, there's no reason for what we've seen. I mean, it's been a weird playoff outside of Leafland throughout the league in terms of the home road splits, right? The road teams are, what are they? I think it's 34 and 22 is the number I saw this morning. I don't have it right in front of me, but it was, you know, it's a 60 plus percent winning percentage for the road teams who, by and large, are supposed to be the underdog teams, especially in the first round. Um, it, it doesn't add up right now, and it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And you got to think it's a bit of an anomaly. But look, the one thing John Cooper said that rang true to me, especially for the Leafs, is that sometimes your home crowd can work against you, right? Because you, when you don't perform to expectation, you know the crowd. The crowd doesn't necessarily cheer you on. They don't necessarily just unilaterally get behind you and say, Oh, we can do better guys. They, they start to panic a little bit. You can certainly feel it in the building on Bay street at times when the Maple Leafs, you know, do what they did last night or, or don't have a great period or don't have a great moment. The, the building goes a little quiet and there's a little bit of a gasp at times when, you know, bad things happen. And I, I and I'm not sure that helps you, right. It doesn't, it doesn't help you as a, as the home team. So maybe that's got something to do with it, but it's not like the Maple Leafs haven't been dealing with that their entire careers at, you know, in their home rink. It's so I, that doesn't add up to me. And it'll be interesting to see how 
the dynamic in the Florida rink plays out here. Because in a lot of ways, you know, I was arguing before the series began that you could argue that every game is going to be a home game for the Maple Leafs. I, I really don't think the Panthers have enough fans and a loud enough fan base to drown out the, the contingent wearing blue and white that's going to be down in Sunrise, Florida come Sunday night. And so how will that play out? Will that, will that be a problem for the Maple Leafs that all these people that have flown down or certainly generally live down in the South Florida area and our Canadians and Maple Leaf fans, are they going to be disappointed, you know, in the same way the people in, in, in these seats uh, on Bay Street are disappointed when the Maple Leafs don't perform to expectations and will the same problem play out? Who, I, I don't know, but, you know, it seems right now like the location of the game necessarily isn't the problem. It To me, if you're talking about location, 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 and, and you know a little bit about real estate, Jim, I think it's very simple. It's the real estate in front of the net. And forget, you know, don't yeah. blame the fans. Don't blame the refs. Don't blame where you're playing, when you're playing. I know they, Maple Leafs probably feel like they got a raw deal by having to play Sunday instead of Saturday, and that it, that favors the Panthers more than it favors them. It doesn't make a lot of sense. It, it shouldn't be happening, but it is. Uh, but if you start looking for outside excuses at a moment when this is about internal accountability, I think, I think you're just wasting your time and you're wasting your breath. I totally agree with that. There are no excuses, and there's no reason to be baffled. What you need to do is come up with a solution. So I'm going to go back over those first two games. I'm going to go to the second period rally by the Leafs in a pretty good third period. And Thursday night, good start, um, lousy second period, really good third period. I mean, are there enough good moments there? If if, if you edited the movie and, and just went with the positives, I think there's enough there. But you always, when you're losing, you always need to give more, don't you? They, they need to find another level oh there's no doubt they need to find another level like you've got to sustain the success like there's no reason why last night after you jump on a team that is playing you know how many times do we use that excuse of the scheduled loss in the regular season right well right. how many times have we have we bailed out teams and when you said well it's their fifth game in five nights they're tired you can see why you know they've been on the road they've had lots of lots of highs and lows they've just they just came off a big win you know, the, the Florida Panthers could have used that excuse last night. They could have said in game two, said, hey, man, we've we've had the hell of a run. If we can just get this split and get out of here, you know, we did our job in game one. We, we can get the split, you know, even if we mail in a performance in game two, everybody's going to say, hey, you played your fifth game in five nights. You're tired. You just blew, you just knocked off the Boston Bruins. You're the underdog anyhow. And you're going back to Miami for some sunshine and, and hopefully some friendly confines. But the Panthers didn't do that. They didn't. They didn't blame the schedule. They didn't blame the fact that they, you know, you could argue they got handed a raw deal by having only one day's rest between their Game Seven win over Boston and, and Game One. They didn't use that as an excuse. So, um, you know, the Maple Leafs should have used it as an advantage and, and and absolutely crushed them in that first period. After you had two, should have been three, and three should have been four. And you should have just distanced yourself. Instead, you had a lull. You made some mental mistakes. You didn't get bailed up by your goaltender. And suddenly, you're chasing the game again. Um, so you're right. They need There needs to be more on every level. It can't be intermittent effort. It can't be William Nylander had a great third period. Well, guess what? You know, Maybe he felt a little bad about the fact that he that he was a big reason why the Panthers got one of their goals on a, on a ridiculously bad turnover in, in a bad spot. Um, and maybe the fact that he, you know, was was a major focus of the game one coverage for his uh, inexplicable skating away from a clear lane to 
uh, a clear lane to the net on that play, that famous play where he's chasing a puck in the second period down 2-1. Mahora falls down. He's got a lane to the net. He decides not to take it and skates it back toward the blue line. You know, those are the types of things that stick with people. They stick with coaches, and they define your legacy as a player. And so I'm not picking on William Nylander specifically. I'm just saying he's one of the guys who has to understand that you're defined as a player by how you perform in these moments. And when people have these incredible memories of you not performing to expectation, even if you try and pull it out of the muck and have a great third period, which he did in game two, he was, he was the best player on the ice at times. Um, it's not enough. As you point out, Jim, there needs to be more. And guess what? You know, it's a 60 minute game, but you got to win the 50, 50 battles. And they're just not doing that enough in my estimation as much as you can point to all the underlying analytics and how they've got more possession and more high danger chances and more of this and more of that, uh, the Panthers have come through when it matters more. So far, Dave. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, Jim. Last minute of play in this podcast. All right, Mike Ross, thanks for the time. Warning time now for a lickety split. Yes, guy, no guy on the way out. Concerned. Yes, guy, no guy. Are you concerned? Oh, absolutely. Yes, guy. When you're down 2 nothing, you got to be concerned. No question about it. Yes, guy, no guy number two. Can they do this? Oh, yes, guy, they can. Obviously, they have to win game three to get back in this thing. Losing game three is the kiss of death. But I believe they can do it. Any team that wins a Stanley Cup has a valley at some point. They have to work their way out of it. Uh, there's no clear run to the Stanley Cup. You've got to earn it and the Leafs have to do that. And we'll close on this one. Yes guy, no guy. Core players must lead the way. Oh, an emphatic yes guy. They led the way in the wrong direction in game two. They must dig in. It's on them. Thanks for downloading episode 28, season three of Leafs Guy. Hope you come back next week for episode 29.